Skull Rock Podcast is brought to you by the generosity of the following companies. Sure, sound extraordinary. To podcasters, recording musicians, and streamers who are looking for studio quality audio at home or on the road, the Shure MV7 Podcast Kit is a premium all-in-one solution inspired by the legendary Shure SM7B and is designed to address the versatility required by modern creators. For more on the Shure MV7 Podcast Kit, visit Shure.com, S-H-U-R-E.com, or click the link in our show notes. Shure, sound extraordinary. And by... The Old Mill Press, publishing beautifully crafted books that illuminate our world. To learn more, visit theoldmillpress.com and by listeners like you. Hey everybody, this is Steve Anderson, animation director and storyboard artist, and you are listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney. With your hosts, El John Go and Dave Bossert. Oh, but they do tell tales. <laughs> I've been wanting to say that for three years. <laughs> Welcome to Skull Rock Podcast. It's all about Disney and pop culture. And every week, we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming, what's in theaters, and what's going on in the universe of entertainment. I'm Al John Go. Longtime musician and Disney Marvel Star Wars pop culture fan. You can email me, Aljon, A L J O N, at skullrockpodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, X, formerly Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at skullrockpodcast.com. Al John, uh, wild weather in your neck of the woods. I saw some massive tornadoes uh, on the news over yeah. the weekend. Yeah. Um, I, I trust you're okay and your family's okay. Everybody is fine and okay over here. Unfortunately, you're right. Uh, there was a string of tornadoes that ripped through Nashville and the middle Tennessee area and of course, our hearts go out to everyone that's been affected, loss of life and and loss of homes and, and loss of power and everything that would come with it. Um, Nashville is in now the tornado alleys. It's shifted uh, over the past uh, five, 10 years. And, you know, we're just we're grateful. I'm super grateful. But uh, once again, there's a lot of people that have been affected by it for sure. Well, I'm glad you and yours are OK. Um, you know, the other thing I was going to mention is Hanukkah began last Thursday. Yes. So I want to send a happy Hanukkah out to, uh, all of our Jewish friends. Yes. Happy Uh, Hanukkah. Yeah. Uh, the festival of lights. I love, um, you know, uh, the other, uh, thing that we've got going on, we have part two of Mike Cachuela's, uh, interview. Yeah. Part two, part two. He's, he's such a great artist and, and a terrific guy and we're dredging up stories with him. So part two is going to drop shortly. Um, yes. and, um, I, I just, you know, I was thinking about it, Al John, before we went on the air, we're like slip sliding out of 2023 pretty darn quickly here can you believe it <laughs> i mean you know it. we're 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 like three weeks away from 2024 oh uh, i know where is the time gone i i just i i have no idea but i tell you it is a joy to be podcasting with you now 
for the past few years. And uh, I'm looking forward to kind of doing a year in review because we've seen a lot of things. We've talked to a lot of people and it would be kind of nice to kind of, uh, you know, talk about the best of what did we see maybe, you know, and, and maybe your favorite stuff that you've seen over the past year. And, you know, we're going to do that on uh, Monday, December 18th, mm-hmm. the, the Monday before Christmas. We're going to do an Al, John and Dave show that just does a best of 2023 in movies, books, music uh, and television streaming. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, absolutely. We're looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, man, we've seen so many things over the past uh, a past year. And I will say, by the way, um, I'm trying to think how many episodes we've had, but uh, we've got to be we've got to be rounding out to a, a big milestone so soon. So I'm going to I'm going to look at well, we're over. We're over 150 episodes. Oh, there you go. All right. Yeah, there you and, go. We missed and, a big And the other thing I you know, you said a, a few years. No, my friend, we're in our fourth year oh of my this gosh, podcast. Four years, Dave. Fourth year of this podcast. I can't Can you it. believe that? I can't believe it, Dave. It's been four years. Oh my yeah. goodness. Where's the time gone? I know. We've oh. been having a blast and we've had a lot of great guests on the show. I tell you what, man, go through the show archive once again and give us those reviews and those five star reviews. We really appreciate it. Uh, my understanding, before we get into the news and what we've been watching this week, is we actually have a little bit of a little uh, message, Skull right? Podcast. Answers your email. Yeah, you know, uh, we got an email from Steve in Italy. Again, the international reach of the Skull Rock Podcast. Steve from Italy. Um, you know, this is a shout out to Steve in Italy. All right. Uh, he says, Dave, hi. You mentioned the Academy screening room in the latest episode of Skull Rock Podcast. So I wanted to bring to your attention Poland's official entry for best foreign film this year is the oil painted animation film, The Peasants. From the maker of the 2017 Oscar-nominated Loving Vincent. Well, Steve, I appreciate you flagging that to me. I actually watched it, and we're going to talk about that in our picks of the week. Wow. Um, uh, It's a very interesting film. Um, I think this past week seemed to have been a, uh, you know, I've I've read more movies this past week than I've read. just you know sat and listened to uh because of subtitles but we'll get into that when we get to our picks of the week he goes on to say keep up the inspiring podcast with the amazing guests you keep bringing on happy holidays and take care steve from italy well steve thank you for that we really appreciate you know those are the kinds of messages i love uh you know i love getting emails like that i opened that up uh early one morning and it brightened my day i love so um you know, and listen, it, it takes you two seconds. If you want to drop us a note and tell us you're enjoying the show or tell us you want us to do a show on a particular topic, do it, you know, uh, and we do respond. I had a nice little exchange with Steve in Italy. Oh, that's great. And, you know, we, we encourage this every every week, but please leave us voicemails using that link in our show notes. If you're listening to us via Apple Podcast or Spotify or Amazon, whatever podcatcher you're listening to, uh, click the show notes and you can just leave us a voice memo using your smartphone. And it's the coolest way to kind of ask your question and get on the show and interact with us. So uh, thank you very much, uh, Steve from Italy. I love that. <laughs> All Italy. Right. Italy. Italy. 
Time for our picks of the week, Dave. You've been a busy boy. Uh, you're preparing for uh, voting for the Academy this year. You're watching a lot of lot of content. So I really watched a lot of stuff. So sit back okay. and relax yes. for a little bit here as I go through this list. Sure. First and foremost, I went to see Godzilla minus one Ooh. in IMAX. Ooh. And this is uh, this is. You know, most people would think this is, oh, it's a typical Godzilla monster movie. It's not. Okay. This this is one of the best movies of the year, Al John. Oh, I like Seriously. to hear that. I like to hear that. Uh, and, and it's not just about, and I'll give you a little uh, log line here. Japan is already devastated by the war when a new crisis emerges in the form of a giant monster, of course, Godzilla. Um, this is this to me is less about Godzilla and more about a failed kamikaze pilot who returns to a you know devastated Tokyo and and tries to rebuild his life, but you know has has post traumatic stress disorder PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, he's struggling. The war isn't over for him. This is post World War II Japan, mm-hmm. right? And uh, he meets up with a uh, uh, a woman who has an or- orphaned uh, daughter. Uh, it's not hers. It's just an orphan child she found mm. uh, and is taken care of. And they become this little family unit uh, as they try to rebuild their lives. But this failed kamikaze pilot who who basically, you know, uh, uh, didn't. Uh, uh, crash his plane uh, as kamikaze pilots were supposed to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, he didn't do that. And, uh, and, and so he's struggling with that failure, uh, but becomes a pivotal uh, uh, person to battle Godzilla. And ultimately he's the one that will save the day and he redeems himself. Mm. This movie had so much heart to it. Uh and and it's subtitled, but it is a spectacular movie. What's even more insane is that this movie was apparently made for 15 million dollars. What? Yeah. I'm serious. The budget it says 15 million US dollars. And it's distributed by Toho Company, which is the company that, you know, owns uh, Godzilla. Mm -hmm. And and we're in this is a 70 year film franchise. Um, You know, I was kind of like, you know, so so, uh, you know, I've seen some of the Godzilla films and, you know, it's all about the monster and, you know, destruction and, you know, all of that. Right. Uh, But uh, this movie so surprised me. Uh, and it was moving, uh, I will tell you. And it is one of the top movies for me for the year. Godzilla minus one. Wow. Okay. So okay. that's my review of that. I, I still can't believe it's been made for $15 million. It sounds like, a, oh, it sounds like an, it, an, an independent film. Oh my gosh. It's unbelievable. You know? So, uh, that was in the theaters. Then uh, I watched a haunting in Venice. Okay. And uh, this is uh, Kenneth Branagh, yeah, uh, who directs this and is also reprising his role as uh, Detective Perot. Wow! 
Wow. Okay. Uh, and, you know, an Agatha Christie character. Uh, and so it's uh, the the synopsis is now retired and living in self-imposed exile in the world's most glamorous city. Perot reluctantly attends a seance at a decaying haunted palazzo. He soon gets thrust into a sinister world of shadows and secrets when one of the guests is murdered. You know, this is this this is a murder mystery and it's incredibly well done. It's beautifully shot in Venice. It stars Kenneth Branagh as Hercule Hercule uh Perot. Uh, it also sell, uh, stars Kelly Riley as Rowena Drake. And Kelly Riley, if you've watched Yellowstone, plays uh, one uh, plays the only daughter of Kevin Costner. She's fantastic. Mm. Uh, it also has Tina Fey, Michelle Yeoh, Jamie Dor- Dornan, mm-hmm. and Kyle Allen. Uh, I mean, this is really an incredible cast of... Uh, actors yes and, and it's a beautiful ensemble it's it's just wonderfully done i highly recommend this you probably are going to be able to catch it on one of the streaming services in fact i hulu. think it's playing on hulu it's hulu yeah. yeah yeah you can watch it on hulu yeah it looks really cool what a great cast yeah and, um, and based on agatha christie's book right it was like a yeah, book from Oscar, yeah agatha, it, christie's agatha christie had a series of these murder mysteries uh with uh this character perot the detective wow, very cool yeah so uh the next film i watched was still a michael j fox movie it's a documentary uh, yes and you can catch this on apple plus um incredibly moving documentary awesome and, um, you know, Michael J. Fox is such a likable character. And this is this is sort of a um, uh, almost, a, you know, life overview. You know, it's almost like a, a documentary biography. Yeah. Wow. But it does focus in on the fact that he has Parkinson's yeah. and how that came about. And the way they've been able to intercut uh uh footage of him yes into this documentary is, is amazing wow it's incredibly well done i i expect this to be nominated for an academy award okay that sounds great <laughs> yeah it, it's absolutely worth watching it, you know he doesn't want you to feel sorry for him uh he just want he he's telling his story you know and he and he's incredibly open about it uh, and, 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 and jokes about it. Uh, and I think, you know, again, uh, it, it, it's wonderful to see somebody battling, uh, you know, a life-changing illness, uh, with such a great disposition and a great attitude. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, a, big, a big fan uh, of Michael J. Fox too. And, uh, I saw that this had popped in. I'm like, Oh, I've got to watch this. Yeah. Um, as our friend Steve from Italy uh, had uh, recommended, The Peasants, this is uh, a Polish film that uh, is in competition for uh, best animated feature, best foreign film. Uh, I don't know. Um, uh, it's a late 19th century Polish village is a hotbed of gossip and ongoing feuds held together by pride, tradition, and deep-rooted patriarchy. Uh, Yanga 
finds herself caught between the conflicting desires of the village richest farmer and his eldest son and other leading men of the community. So, you know, this, uh, the story's a little bit thin for me. (laughs) Okay. Um, But what they did was they shot this film as a live action film. And then they went in and created it as a moving oil painting. Wow. Okay. So visually, there are some incredibly stunning moments in this film. Just absolutely visually stunning, beautiful film. The story, again, is a bit thin. Uh, it, it, it holds together, and it has an unsatisfying ending in my book. Oh, okay. Okay? But uh, if you want to see something that's just beautiful to watch, uh, I, I'd recommend that you take a peek at this. It is an hour and 54 minutes, so it's a bit long to to sustain this particular technique, but it did work for me. And there were moments where it kind of felt like, yeah, they didn't really take it far enough in a few of the shots where it still looked a little live action. Right. You know, uh, I mean, overall, it looks like it was a live action movie, period. But but the technique is beautiful. Um, and, uh, it's different and it's something that you may want to check out. Um, I'm not sure where that's going to be available, but I'm sure somebody's going to pick it up and probably run it. Mm-hmm. Um, then Al John, I buckled down and I saw wish. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Young, yeah. Young Asha makes a wish so powerful that it's answered by a cosmic force, a little ball of boundless energy called star with stars help. Asha must save her kingdom from King Magnifico and prove that when the will of one courageous human connects with the magic of the stars, wondrous things can happen. Uh, as one of the reviews mentioned last week, this was this is a story that came out of some sort of corporate retreat. Uh, it's formulaic. Um, I didn't really care about the characters. In fact, I'll tell you, I was offended uh, by the fact that they had to have uh, you know every everybody represented. It's as if they shoehorned it in. I mean, it's like they had a lineup. They had the fat guy. They had the thin guy with the big ears. They had the black girl. They had an Asian girl who has a crutch. Uh, You know, it just goes on and on. And I just sit there and go, really? You know, I mean, you're you're just you're punching us in the face with this stuff. Yeah. You know, and uh, and I from day one, when I heard that the villain's name is King Magnifico, Mm -hmm. I just thought to myself, really, you couldn't come up with anything better. Yeah. AI would have been better. Right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, put that through chat GBT. Yeah. You know, see see what it comes up with. (laughs) You know, you know, look, uh, you know, last year with Strange World. I found some some redeeming qualities. You know, I, I liked the visuals. I thought that visually it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. This movie fell flat to me, uh, in my view. Um, uh, I didn't particularly care for the art direction. I didn't particularly care. It, it just, it, it felt homogenized. Mm-hmm. It felt like a generic animated movie. Yeah. I didn't really care about the characters. I will tell you that uh, uh, Alan Tudyk, 
who voices Valentino. Uh, you know, he's in that show. I think it's Aliens Among or Alien Among Us. Yes. Right. You know who I'm talking about, oh, right? Yeah. Alan Tudyk has been in everything from Star Wars to yeah. you know Disney movies. As, as he, he, he's a he's a great terrific actor. actor. Hey, yes. Um, I, if I had a point to a bright spot, it's the fact that he voices Valentino, the little goat. Oh, of course, because that, and, and, he, and he's terrific. He's he is, absolutely terrific. He is kind of like the John Ratzenberger for Disney films these days. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, maybe so. But you know, I I just thought he was he was great. But overall, uh, the film uh, doesn't resonate with me, and I can understand why people don't care. Uh, it's very formulaic. I mean, there there was things that I felt were derivative of previous films, mm-hmm. uh, like Encanto and 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 things like that. And the music, I mean, some of the songs I thought were downright terrible. Yeah, in fact, uh, there was an article on Variety today that w- that mentioned that the theme for Wish was actually written before the film was was actually thought of, or they had basically got a bunch of songs, I guess, that were already off the shelf. I I uh, I, I just uh, I'm paraphrasing, but once again, there we go. You know, it's like well, look as I've said in 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 previous um, uh, episodes of our show, mm-hmm. yeah animation's broken yeah um if, if this is the kind of stuff they're turning out um it, it had absolutely no heart to it in, in my mind yeah uh, badly and, and yeah. i i tried to go into this by the way with an open mind you know me i want to sit down and i watched it from start to finish including the credits you know uh and i honestly um i i, I and and the other thing that struck me watching this I couldn't believe that they spent $200 million on this movie. I'm wondering where all the money went, you know, especially <laughs> when you watch a film like Godzilla minus one that they spent $15 million on. Yep. Right. I I'm just sitting there going, where did they spend $200 million? I could see it in, uh, in strange world. Yeah. You know, because of the lush backgrounds and, and stuff. It is Even a beautiful film. It, yeah. Yeah. It, it's a beautiful looking film, but I didn't really, you know, the story was, you know, you don't care about the characters and the story was terrible, you know. Uh, but, you know, I sit there and I look at Wish and I say, where is the money? Because I don't see it. Right. At least with Strange World, you could get to the core of the story, which was supposed to be a story about a father and a son and a son carving his own path right yeah and then for this i i don't know i haven't seen it but it just seems to me like once again it's paint by numbers and probably executives trying to put their stamp on something where it, it's completely void of any creative uh, creativity and the filmmakers throwing up their hands in the air and, and maybe some of the animators i don't know this to be a oh, fact but just saying I, like I, this is what you want okay this is what you're gonna get yeah, and, and you mentioned animators. Uh, I I was really kind of taken back by uh, taken aback by the uh, uh, animation. I didn't think the animation was very good. It everything from the the trailer looked kind of uninspiring, and I was really hoping that wish when I saw the kind of a tease at D twenty three Expo several years ago, I said this is going to be great. It's going to be the hundredth anniversary of the Walt Disney company. They're going to really do a tour de force. This is going to be an amazing film and nothing about the trailer makes it must watch for me or my family. 
at all. Yeah. All I would say to our listeners is uh, when it goes on to Disney plus, which it will at some point, uh, if you want to watch it, watch it there. It, it's definitely not worth spending your money on at the movie theaters. So sad. Yeah. So sad. Uh, on a brighter note, I did see, uh, as far as animation goes, I did see Chicken Run, Dawn yeah. of the Nugget, which is on Netflix. <laughs> oh, they're great. Uh, and if you loved uh, the first Chicken Run movie, uh, which they they kind of uh, give you a a, a little uh, a taste of at the very beginning of this one to set it up. Um, and you know what I loved about the first one? It was it was like the chicken uh, the chicken farm was was set up like it was a World War II POW camp. Okay, you know. <laughs> okay, and the chicken, you know, in the first one, and you, and you sort of get that, you know, they had the guard towers and the barbed wire fence, and you know, the chickens are like the Allied forces that are captive yes. that are trying to escape. You know what I mean? Yes. So this picks up after they've escaped and they've settled on a little island uh, in the middle of a river. Okay. You know, yeah. and, uh, and and so uh, beautifully done stop motion. Uh, if you're a fan of uh, uh, of Ardman animation, yes. you're gonna love this movie. There was a very smart writing, wonderful voice actors. Um, you know, I found myself laughing out loud numerous times. Uh, it's just a fun film to watch it's it's inventive uh it, it's very you know visually uh uh beautiful uh so i i recommend this uh chicken run uh dawn of the nugget on netflix now i did watch uh on the academy screening room which is the motion picture academy's uh, streaming app that members get access to i did watch a short called the brave uh locomotive Oh, uh, and the Brave Locomotive is an old West musical tale with 1940s flair about a mighty little train facing facing a harrowing uh, disaster. This is an absolutely gorgeous little short. Uh, it's a throwback to sort of the um, golden age of animation. You know, and uh, it's just absolutely beautifully done. Uh, it's an independent short. Uh, if you get a chance to see this, and I hope it gets picked up and put onto one of the streaming services for people to watch or a compilation of shorts, mm -hmm. it's it's just a fantastic uh, animated short, The Brave Locomotive. Nice. Um, now, uh, we're going to talk in a moment uh, in our news segment about uh, uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono's Happy Christmas War is Over song, mm -hmm. which is always part of the holiday playlist. Yes. Um, well, it inspired an animated uh, film. Oh. And the, the animated short is called War is Over. It's in competition uh, for... Uh, the Academy short subject, animated short subject. It's produced by um, Sean Ono Lennon, uh, yes. John Lennon, Yoko Ono's son, mm -hmm. uh, and Dave Mullins from Pixar, uh, who used to be with Pixar, is the director. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was done with the help of Peter Jackson's Weta down in New Zealand. Oh, very cool. Yeah. And uh, so this... Uh, 
this short is uh, beautifully done. Uh, you know, uh, you know, my my feeling is that it's a wonderful story uh, about uh, you know an unspecified war, you know, between two sides. Uh, you know, on the battlefield and they're using a carrier pigeon to play, you know, a couple of soldiers are using a carrier pigeon to play chess. Uh, uh, one soldier, uh, uh, the soldiers are on opposing sides. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, and uh, it, the, um, uh, the score is done by Thomas Newman. Uh, there, there's virtually no dialogue. It's, it's just music, sound effects, uh, visuals, uh, and then, uh, the, uh, classic, uh, John and Yoko song war is over or, you know, happy Christmas war is over, right. uh, uh, plays over the end credits actually. Wow. So, um, if you get a chance to see this, uh, I, I would recommend it. Uh, I liked it. Nancy liked it. Uh, you don't have to be a Beatles fan to enjoy it, uh, but it's uh, it's definitely worth seeing. I think they did a really beautiful job to it. And it's not just, you know, doing animation to a song. Mm-hmm. As I said, the, the actual song only plays over the end credits, mm-hmm. you know. So but the 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 film itself was inspired by uh, the music. Nice. OK, Nice. now. I did finish watching Obliterated on Netflix, which, as you may recall, last week I said was an awful show. Yes. Uh, but but it was so awful I had to finish watching I it. I can't believe you put yourself through that. I did, you know. <laughs> the things I do for our listeners. Uh, you took one for the team, Dave. Congratulations. <laughs> I take one for uh, and then uh, uh, I watched uh, a new series on uh, Max called bookie and this is from chuck lore oh okay you know, chuck lore who did uh big bang theory and yeah, two chuck, and a half men yes, and yes. you know all these uh, uh, all the the great sitcoms a lot of great sitcoms yeah chuck yeah lore. uh what's his name hearts uh it's a two and a uh, half men he did no he did two and a half men uh yeah Ch- oh yeah. yeah writer yeah he's a writer for two and a half men uh, Big Bang Theory, Dharma and Greg. Yeah. Uh, he's done Young Sheldon. I mean, he's done a lot. He, he's done a ton of stuff. This uh, show called The Bookie, uh, it's about a bookie struggles to survive the impending legalization of sports gambling and his increasingly unstable clients, family, and co-workers. Uh, it, the, the two leads are Sebastian Maniscalco, uh, the comedian, Okay. Uh, and Omar J. Dorsey, uh, who's like his muscle, right? So uh, Sebastian Maniscalco uh, plays Danny, the the bookie, and Omar J. Dorsey plays Ray, his his you know muscle. He's there to intimidate to get paid. Gotcha. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also has uh, George Garcia, if you remember him from Lost, the big guy from Lost. Right. Uh, yep, yeah, he's in it. Uh, and. There's an appearance by Charlie Sheen. We haven't seen Charlie Sheen in like five or six years, and uh, you know since he went nuts with the Tiger Blood and winning and all of that, uh, uh. he he's kind of got himself back together, and he's slowly uh, uh, reemerging. And he does a uh, a cameo in one of the episodes, and you know he had a big falling out with Chuck Lore. Yeah, I thought 
Yeah, I was going to say, I thought they were at odds. So I guess he may have quote unquote kissed in makeup with him. Yeah, I think they patched it up, you know. Wow, I guess uh, any, I guess he'll get phrase over. (laughs) Yeah. And and by the way, Charlie Sheen uh, is in an episode. It was directed by Chuck Lore. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, that is a lot of stuff. That is, uh, wow. and that is what I've been watching. Al John, what have you been watching? Okay. So yes, I do watch a lot of stuff, but a lot of it is stuff I've already seen. And I, and I do, I say that I dropped my phone and I say that because, uh, I have got kids at the house. So what do you know? Uh, I w- I kept on watching Mickey's once upon a Christmas. It's a all time favorite. I just wanted to mention it, put it out there. We watched the peanuts movie uh, we saw some brand new stuff. Um, you know, they have a diary wimpy cri- uh, kid. And I, as I drop my phone, uh, I will tell you that the new diary of a wimpy kid Christmas show is, uh, is really, once again, it's got a lot of heart. So oh, I would good. encourage everybody, uh, you have a great, you know, you have a family diary, wimpy kid, Christmas cabin fever, um, Things are going rough during the winter vacation, so there's a big snowstorm that covers the city. But who do you think is in charge of the snowplow accident that happened that leaves the whole town snowed in? Well, it just happens to be one of the kids there. So, um, But of course it was an accident, Dave. It was an accident. But uh, throughout it all, there's a lot of heart. Uh, so I go, I, I I thoroughly recommend that for a great family movie. And, you know, we were talking about how a lot of the animation style, Dave, is kind of homogenized. And maybe you can't tell uh, one Dis- a Disney film to-, to the next. Of course, this one has a great animation style. And I really appreciate it because and, and the kids really loved it. So Good. You know, go out there and check that out on Disney Plus. Also, uh, because I'm a huge professional wrestling fan, Dave. You know, you I, are, I am a huge professional wrestling fan. I don't know if our listeners know, but I had been the voice of uh, showtime all-star wrestling here in Nashville. And I did all the, all the advertisements for it for a number of years. And I had a wrestling podcast back in the day that was pretty popular, <laughs> but, uh, I, the things, the things the, I learn about the thing you that you learns about me. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I spent my, my career in radio for like 17 years at promoting wrestling shows on, on the alternative rock and classic rock stations. But I really grew up, um, you know, watching wrestling in the eighties and my father took me to wrestling events. And I think it's just a tie to my childhood that I still really appreciate. And even though I don't watch a whole lot of new wrestling today, I do watch, I have watched The Wrestlers, which is a new series on Netflix, and it's about Ohio Valley uh, Wrestling, which was a big wrestling school uh, in, in, in Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky, which is close to where I went to college, um, Clarksville, Tennessee. So in this wrestling school, it is world-renowned, Dave. The artists that you see today, John Cena, Dave Batista. Brock Lesnar, all of the big names in Hollywood have come from this school. And really? Yes, absolutely. Um, so they graduated so many top-tier talent that is now megastars in WWE and, of course, Hollywood like John Cena and Dave Batista. Um, they are an independent wrestling company that put on live TV every single week. And it's not glamorous. They learn their craft, and some of them have been at it for quite some time and maybe have not and will not reach the the superstar status of a John Cena, but they're trying. So this is kind of like the Little League 
um, I, I shouldn't even say little league. That's demeaning. It is kind of like the, the AAA baseball team where homegrown talent gets to hone their craft. It's fascinating. Uh, veteran, uh, wrestler trainer, Al Snow, uh, stars in the, in this series. It's a few episodes, so it's not a, it's not a very big watch, but just a type of talent that comes in there, try to learn their craft and what happens when an independent wrestling company starts to uh, lose their way in terms of finances, nearly closing its doors and getting saved by some uh, investors that all of a sudden start meddling in the way the business is run is absolutely fascinating. The dynamic that happens. So um, I can't, uh, I can't tell you it's a great, great series. Uh, I would totally recommend it. Also, Dave, can you believe it's been 40 years since Scarface came out? You know, there's so many anniversaries starting <laughs> to pop up now that it, it's crazy. You know, like, you know, they just did the 30th anniversary of uh, not only Nightmare Before Christmas, but Hocus Pocus this oh, year. Yeah. Uh-huh. There yeah. was the 35th anniversary of uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That's I right. Mean, you know the we just keep seeing you know these uh oh isn't it isn't it a 30th anniversary for uh um oh gosh uh the the uh well i'm having a brand fade it, it's the bruce willis uh, oh, die christmas hard. die hard yeah, yes isn't that the 30th anniversary of die yeah, hard you're absolutely correct it's, yeah you're, you're crazy. absolutely correct i mean yeah. die hard for one fight me on it one of my favorite christmas movies of all time yeah. Uh, you know, it's and yours, it's, yours and a lot of others. It's uh, it's become sort of this uh, unofficial official Christmas movie. It plays on television every year, but it's going out in the theaters for the 30th anniversary. Yes. And I'm so glad it is. I mean, the backdrop is Christmas. And yes, you could say it's a Christmas movie. I consider it one just like I consider uh, Gremlins a Christmas movie because it happens during Christmas. You know, it's not the gift of the Magi. It's a gift of the Mogwai. Right. <laughs> so, <you> but Scarface <laughs> is one of those films once again. And it, it, it's, it's, it came out 40 years ago, Al Pacino, uh, Brian De Palma film, a uh, writer's Oliver Stone. This to me is just one of the classics. And, and I think it's, you know, it stands a test of time and is it dated? Yes, it's dated. Does it have an amazing cast? It sure as heck has an amazing cast, but it really sets the tone for what happens in these type of films and it influences so much of pop culture that it's, it's really incredible. The t- you would not have known that this film, you know, made such a, uh, a mark on pop culture when it came out and lo and behold, it, it's made a, a huge mark on pop culture and music and, and film and music videos. So Al Pacino, Scarface, uh, happy 40th I mean, how, anniversary. How, how, yeah, and how many times have you heard the, the the line "Say hello to my little friend"? Dave, I say it all the time. <laughs> I say it all the time, and I said, uh, you know, uh, you know, the world, Chico, the world. You know, you I go. mean, that's what it is. I mean, it's just amazing. It's just, uh, but yeah, that's another rewatch I had this week. It's just, and, and it looks great uh, on HD. Uh, so stream it on Netflix. It's it's amazing. Uh, you know. It's crazy. It's gratuitous, but it it is amazing. Uh, so please check that out. My cat is invading my studio. All right, and Dave, that's all I've seen this week. <laughs> so Excellent. Guys, okay. So guys, yeah, check out uh, check out our picks for the week, and uh, there you have it. Let us know what you're watching. Send us that email, and we'll check it out on an upcoming episode. Skull Rock Podcast.
Ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. Oh, okay. I was gonna. Yeah, I didn't even let it. Like my cat stepping on my ear. <laughs> I'm not gonna edit that. That's totally real, y'all. Uh, right. Box office news, Dave. But uh, Beyonce and Godzilla lead quiet December weekend, and um, I wish there was more action going on this December, Dave. I'll let you take it while I try to put this cat outside of my studio. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, no, I, I, again, I would just highly recommend Godzilla minus one to our listeners. It's really, I mean, you don't see Godzilla very much in this movie. Uh, You know, there's a handful of shots uh, of of Godzilla, but it's mostly about this, uh, you know, this, this failed kamikaze pilot and trying to rebuild his life and, and find redemption. And uh, again, I I think it's one of the best movies of the year. And I don't say that lightly, Al John, you know, and you've seen a lot Um, of stuff. You know, uh, Oppenheimer is a great movie, you know, uh, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part One. Great movie this year. I put this up in the top five of the best movies of the year in my book. Mm. Uh, so so go out and see Godzilla. And, you know, and the other thing about this box office results that is just absolutely depressing mm-hmm. and and sad is that Wish came in number five behind trolls band together yeah i mean come on trolls band together really mm. you know mm-hmm. and, and you know it's it, it, it's like you know disney animation come on you're lost you're broken you need to be fixed oh yes. you know they, they got to get their act together and and one thing i i should have mentioned by the way because i watched the credits of wish yes there's a category in there of cultural trust oh my the God. cultural trust I mean, come on, really? You got, you know, so you've got all of these competing people who are trying to put stuff into these movies, and this is why they're failing. They don't, they don't get it. They're gonna, they're, there's people there who are in denial. They're gonna say that that that's not the case, but we, Al John, we know that's the case and the movie going public knows that's the case and that's why they're not going to see these films and another reason why i said last week they should take a pause don't put a movie out next year you know regroup try and fix this and make disney animated films an event again yeah you know because they've destroyed it over the last several years i mean it's just it's awful well, look, representation representation does matter. I get it. It does. But you yeah, know what? it does. You can't, Absolutely. It, it's, it, you can't just shoehorn it in for the sake of shoehorning it. It's got to. Uh, it's got to be. Uh, it's organic. Serve, it's got to be organic. It has to be authentic. It has to serve the story. And you know what? As you said, Dave, the 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 movie buying public can smell the crap. So if you mm-hmm. try to shoehorn that stuff, it is none of those things. It has to be authentic, and. What happens when you don't, you have wish, I guess, you know, and so, and you have all these other people meddling in it. That's where your $200 million went, Dave, all the middle management, all these other people trying to shoehorn different things and mess with the creative process. I don't blame a single person or, or whatever. I think it's just, once again, the state of Disney animation and the person at the top of it. 
Right. Well, you know, it's it, it, it's the it, it, it's making films by committee. Right. That's what it boils down to. Now, uh, and speaking of credits, because I always watch the credits, mm-hmm. uh, there there is just an unbelievable amount of people in the wish credits. It's insane how many people are listed in the credits. Mm-hmm. And then you look at Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget. Mm-hmm. It it's very succinct. Who did what? Oh yeah. You know, there there was no category for cultural trust in in, in the credits. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, I mean, come on. You know, I mean, it's yeah. just it's amazing. Anyway, I, I, I don't want to keep belaboring. I know that. we're beating that horse. Right? Yeah. OK, right. so among the surprises this weekend, you've got a domestic top spot with 22 million per deadline. Uh, this is from y- Yahoo Entertainment um, concert film. Renaissance, or is it a concert film? It is Renaissance, a film by Beyonce, which took the domestic top spot at $22 million. Of course, uh, number two is Hunger Games, uh, which is uh, domestic total now is $121 million. And then, of course, Godzilla minus one. And, of course, Wish comes in horribly. Uh, that is what, making now $41.9 million in total haul. Yeah. And, and by the way, that's the gross yeah, right. That's gross. cut that in half. That because half goes to the exhibitors. Oh yeah, of course. The uh, and and so you're basically looking at twenty million dollars. You know, I'm glad you mentioned made. that. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because the exhibitors, the theaters, they bank on Disney films to make them money during the season. And when the domestic box office sucks, they make no money. No one's coming in. No one's buying concessions. And people get laid off, and that sucks. Yeah. You know. Um, Ridley Scott's Napoleon, Dave. Um, have you seen Napoleon? Did we talk about it last week? Did you see it? I did. I did not see Napoleon. Okay. I was supposed to see it Thanksgiving weekend, but uh, my entire Thanksgiving, as you well know, uh, was upended with Nancy going in the hospital for four days. Right. Thankfully, she's home and recovering, and everything's okay. Yeah. But um, I was supposed to see it that weekend. I didn't get a chance to see it. My friend, who I typically go to the films with, you know, the movies with, um, uh, he saw it. He didn't really like it. He didn't care for the cinematography. Mm-hmm. He thought. Uh, uh, and then my daughter, who lives in in Paris, uh, yeah. Sydney, her and her husband went to see it, and they saw it in English. What? In Paris? Yep, they saw it in English in Paris, and she said it was a terrible film. Yeah, so I've got mixed reviews too because a lot of us are are movie fans over there in the office, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah. I don't know," and that's another miss for Ridley Scott. That's unfortunate, um, especially for Joaquin Phoenix, which is a tremendous actor. I don't think I've seen a bad one, and I getting these mixed reviews makes me not want to see it because yeah. I don't want to ruin that reputation in my mind. Well, I I am going to watch it, but I'm going to wind up watching it uh, on the Academy streaming uh, service. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I I was actually really looking forward to that film because when I saw the trailers projected in IMAX, the battle scenes look spectacular. But, you know, again, I'm, I'm just hearing a lot of negativity about it. Yeah, well, I tell you what's negative uh, has been what's been going on with the estate of Steve Ditko and Marvel Studios. Dave, Steve Ditko is one of the titular three pillars of Marvel Comics. 
from back in the day, you had, of course, Stan Lee and the king of comics, Jack Kirby, and, of course, Steve Ditko, who is a co-creator of Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, some of the yeah. biggest, biggest uh, superheroes of all time. But it looks like Marvel won't be bringing its battle over the rights of Spider-Man and Doctor Strange into the new year because attorneys for the company and the estate of Ditko said on Wednesday notified the court that they've reached an amicable settlement and expected and expect a stipulation dismissal with prejudice to be filed in the coming weeks. Wow. And this uh, dates all the way back to 2021 when Marvel filed a series of lawsuits in response to a copyright termination from Larry Lieber and the estate of Gene Colan, Steve Ditko, Don Heck, and Don Rico that had a whole bunch of disputes regarding copyright uh, that include characters of Iron Man, Captain America, Black Widow, Hulk, Thor, but and the, the artists were trying to take their the, to those characters back. Yes, that's right. Because I think when the artists are are, I guess they they come in to do these things. They're still freelance, right? So a lot of them are are maybe freelance. And tell me if I'm wrong, but they you're freelance. But when you work and get paid for work, it is considered a work for hire. So anything that you create under the time you're being hired or work for hire or whatever the case is, that that becomes the intellectual property of the parent company that pays you, right? That that that's correct. I mean, you know, when when I worked at Disney, anything you developed at Disney uh, was owned by Disney. You know, you didn't own that because you were an employee, and you were you were being paid as work for hire. Yeah, same you know? goes for me. So, if I've if I invented a new yeah. guitar, Dave, it's going to be Gibson. It's not going to be right. Al Johns. <laughs> exactly. Right. But but this was different because these guys were freelancers at the uh, time. Oh, they were freelance. And, okay. Yeah. And, and, and I think Ditko's lawsuit is one of the last ones to be settled. Right. And obviously, look, they've they've paid they've paid out you know millions of dollars, no doubt uh, that the family's satisfied. Yeah. And that that's good because ultimately, you know, Steve Ditko is kind of a um, I, I, I he's one of those figures. He's a monster figure. But of course, he also has some um, interesting views on things uh, during his tenure at Marvel and beyond. But I do hope that he gets recognized for his contributions to pop culture and of course to Marvel and gets inducted into the Disney hall of fame uh, as a Disney legend, like Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, because he certainly deserves to be there. So yeah. hopefully they figure that out. Uh, Dave Taylor Swift. I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm man enough to admit that I'm a Swifty. I'm a big fan of Taylor Swift. I, I appreciate her music and people, especially in Nashville, can hate me if they want. I don't really care because it's fun. But uh, she has been named Time's Person of the Year, and she tells her enemies, trash takes itself out. And um, she's one of the, I guess, the first entertainer to receive the honor for from the publication, uh, being a singer-songwriter. Yeah. Dave, what do you think yeah. about this? You know, I, I read an article as to, you know, why uh, the editors of Time chose Taylor Swift, and I don't disagree with it. I mean, look, oftentimes they're they're naming, you know, some, you know, world leader uh, or, uh, you know, more often than not, it's a man uh, to be time, you know, time person of the year. Um, I, I thought that this was an interesting uh, choice from the standpoint that 2023 really was the year of Taylor Swift. I mean, you know, she's had a massive impact on the U.S. economy. I mean, she, you know, just her her Eros tour 
apparently is generated or injected into the economy all across the country some five or six billion dollars. Yes. You know, uh, and uh, look, you know, she every, everything she touches right now turns to gold. This is you know, true. She became a billionaire this year. She, you know, the the NFL got a boost when she showed up to a football game because she's dating uh, uh, Travis. Uh, how do you pronounce his last name? Cal? Oh. <laughs> Kelts. Kels, I think. Kels? Kels? Travis Kels. You can tell I'm a big sports guy. Yeah, I mean, you can tell I'm not a Swifty, right? I mean, I like her music, by the way. Yeah. I mean, what I've heard of it, I, I think she's great. You know, she she's a pop artist who's a great performer and she puts on a fantastic show and her fans love her. Yeah. You know, and uh, I thought, you know, this was an uplifting choice because of all of the darkness in the world right now. Oh, you say it's an uplifting choice and I agree, but I'll take it a step further saying it kind of brought Time Magazine uh, back into relevance uh, and, and made money for them because anything, you know, so... I think this was a strategic move on Time Magazine's part because they could have picked anyone, you know, any female uh, that has been doing a tremendous amount in the world of politics or science or literature, but they chose Taylor and wherever Taylor goes, she brings the money. So can you imagine the amount of covers they're selling based on all of her fan base? Eh, It's a strategic, it's a cash grab. So okay, I, maybe, I, man, maybe it is my sinister friend. Uh, yeah. You know what? Yeah. I'll say yes. Does Taylor deserve to be woman of the year? Sure. I guess that's fine. You know, I'm a, I'm a Taylor Swift fan. I'm, I'm down with it, but let's just call a spade a spade. They want to sell magazines. There so, you go. All right. Sean. Oh no. Boy, I sound like a bah humbug dude today. Uh, Sean Ono Lennon and Peter Jackson partner on an animated film. You're talking about Dave uh, inspired by John Lennon and Yoko's happy Christmas war is over. Dave, uh, you were talking about this, and, uh, you know, here's the video. Uh, Did you, uh, you know, uh, and you went on about it, so I'm just going to put that out there. So uh, I guess go out there and check it out. Uh, if you will. Yeah. You know, again, I'm not sure where people can see, you know, there there's typically, you know, they package a lot of these animated shorts and show them, you know, at a theater in New York or, you know, Los Angeles or Chicago. Uh, I, you, you're going to have to look for this one. Maybe it'll show up online. Uh, maybe one of the streaming services will pick it up. Uh, I, I particularly like short films. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think in this day and age with the short attention span of people, uh, they would enjoy these short films, you know? Uh, and I think this is one that's worth seeking out if you can find it. Well, the film, of course, War is Over, inspired by the music of John and Yoko, quietly had an Oscar qualifying run in the fall and is now looking for a distributor. So as Dave mentions, I'm sure it won't be long before it finds a home. Uh, on a streaming service so that people can check it out. Yeah. You know, the, the, the thing I would sit there and say is that, you know, because Disney has put, you know, the, the, uh, let it be, uh, you know, the Peter Jackson, uh, documentary, uh, on the service, uh, the streaming service, and there's been other, other Beatle things, uh, uh, on the, the uh, streaming service. Why not pick this up? You know, why not pick this up and package it with uh, the short film that that they did for uh, now and then the Beatles? Yeah. 
You know what I mean? It's like, you know, that would be, that would be a cool thing to do, but guess what? There's probably somebody at, at Disney right now going, Oh, I don't know. They're, you know, it's about war. We shouldn't put that on. You know, know, I mean, crying out loud. It's, you know, uh, somebody should, somebody should just pick up the phone and say, Hey, we'd like to put this on Disney plus. Yeah, do it. And you know what? Uh, Disney's now beta testing Hulu as a tile on, on Disney plus. So go out there and check it out. They need content. So, yeah. So please do. Uh, Yeah. But you know something, you can easily put together a half an hour uh, or a 45 minute special where you showcase now and then it's got, you know, it's got footage of John Lennon in mm-hmm, it sure. uh, and, and then, and then show this uh, song and the fact that this song still resonates today, Sure, you know, I mean, you know, 50 years after, after he and Yoko uh, wrote it, you Crazy, know, Crazy, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, speaking of uh, music, we have more music news. Kiss announces a new era as a virtual band. And Dave, I think I may have mentioned this last week, you know, Kiss had their last ever live show, apparently, or at least their tour. I think they're still going to play. That's just my two cents. I continue to play. But um, they've got this stunning uh, virtual Kiss um, concert thing that they're promoting, I guess. It's kind of like, uh, you know, avatars for their virtual tour. So it's uh, kind of crazy how they're they're doing this. Uh, it's a combination of LED projection, lasers, and heavy metal smoke and pyrotechnics um, saying it's a new era that's beginning. And, of course, uh, Industrial Light and Magic, uh, the special effects company, of course, is tasked with creating the new virtual KISS that's going out there doing a show. So this is a KISS concert in the future, a rock opera, part musical, part story, part adventure. Um, I don't think they're ever going to stop, Dave. Uh have you seen any, any of this stuff? Any, anybody who announces any band who says we're doing a farewell tour or this or that, I honestly don't believe them until <laughs> all the band members are dead. I, uh, I'm i a big Kiss fan, <laughs> Dave. I, I grew up listening and watching Kiss. I'm a big fan. I've got, you know, Kiss Pez dispensers and lunch boxes. And I'm, a, you know, I've worked with a band, you know, personally, I've worked with a band. And, I I really this is interesting to me. I, I I wish them all the best. They're just a great band, but um, you know there comes a time when maybe your voice doesn't work as well as it used to, and if you have integrity, you'll 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 maybe uh, think about hanging it up because um, it, maybe you want to do things. You'll go out on a big note, right, on the biggest note you can, and not leave fans with less than. And, yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe this is great. Maybe the new era is going to be cool, but uh, it looks very interesting. We'll just have to see how this virtual Kiss band uh, shows up. Um, before we get into our one of our final stories, I, I wanted to make note that uh, um, yeah, a lot of people, our listeners know I work for Gibson Guitar Company, and we have this awesome channel called Gibson TV. And I'm a big fan of rock and roll photography and our documentary series through the lens, along with many of our documentaries on Gibson TV has won Webby after Webby after Webby. So it's an award-winning web series, but check out through the lens with Niels Lozauer. Um, he's an award-winning rock and roll photographer. He's shot for Rolling Stone and Rush and everybody, but he, we just put out a short, it's about 20 minutes long through the lens with Niels Lozauer promoting his new book. And it features unseen photos of Eddie Van Halen. 
And wow. It's an amazing conversation with Neil. He is a legendary rock and roll photographer. And check it out because they're, as a Van Halen fan, I've never seen these photos. And it's great to hear the stories behind it, his experience with Eddie Van Halen. Of course, he passed away several years ago. But just uh, his thoughts on working with the band throughout the years, it's very, very cool. So please check that out. Um, okay. Speaking of checking out some awesome shows, Dave, I grew up and a lot of like a lot of people with Norman Lear, sitcom genius, citizen activist. He dies at one hundred one years, Dave. Six you time, know, yeah. Go what ahead. can you say about this guy? I mean, honestly, if you live to be over a hundred, you've <laughs> had an amazing life. Yes, and. And Norman Lear really left his mark on pop culture. Yeah. When you think of All in the Family, The Jeffersons, The Good Times, yeah. uh, Sanford and Son. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, yeah. the mod, the the list goes on and on. And and he was working right up until the end. Yeah. And that speaks volumes about staying engaged and being productive and not just retiring and sitting in front of a TV or, you know, just, you know, not doing anything. You got to you got to keep contributing. You got to keep doing stuff. You got to keep yourself busy, you know. And so I, I'm I mean, you can't be sad about this. You know, we all go at some point, but to live to be 101 and be working right up until the end and sharp as attack and, and, and to have left behind such a body of work. Uh, and you know, whether you agreed or disagreed with his politics, doesn't matter. He contributed, he contributed to society, he contributed, to pop culture and uh and he leaves an amazing body of work behind uh all in the family by the way all-time favorite you yeah, know i yeah. mean it's just one of those top uh sitcom shows that really broke grounds yes. uh put a spotlight on a lot of people that uh carol o'connor portrayed you know the archie bunkers of the world yes you know the and, and and it was wonderfully done and it was funny as hell. Once again, you know, I would rush home after school to watch shows like uh, Good Times and All in the Families and the Jeffersons. I've seen every episode of every one of those shows and I thought it was a great slice of life. It took serious subject matter, race relations, bigotry, and really made it entertaining, but also thought provoking as a child. I absolutely love it. And as an adult, I love it even more. And, uh, and I really, I really give my props to him because even the live sessions that he would do on ABC as of late, where they would take, you know, a very much a theatrical approach to his sitcom uh, episodes and put it on live TV, I thought was amazing. So uh, yeah. wonderful stuff there. And another thing just really quick that I didn't know is that he provided fundings for films like this is spinal tap. One of my favorite rock and roll movies yeah. of all time. Stand by me in the Princess Bride, Fried Green Tomatoes, the first uh, three directed by Rob Reiner, who played Meathead on All in the Family. Um, what a great producer! So that's that's really cool that he did that. So rest in peace, Norman. Uh, and you've mess you've made an indelible mark on pop culture. Yeah, and by the, by the way, Rob Reiner uh, uh, mentioned in a tweet that he considered Norman Lear his second father. Yeah. 
and, 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 you know, more power to Rob Reiner because, you know, I think initially he didn't like being called meathead yeah, of course. in the public, you know, cause when people saw him, they would yell meathead. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and, and in later years, he's embraced it, you know, and it's a badge of honor for him, you know, yeah. and I think that's fantastic. And that's the way to approach that, you know, anyway, Norman Lear dead at 101, uh, well, leaves behind a great body of work. RIP, you know, absolutely. Well, that's the news that's fit to mention this week. And right now, sit back and relax as we have our part two with story artist and wonderful human being, Mike Cutrella, right here on Skull Rock Podcast. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, Al John, here we are. We're back again with Mike Cachuela, uh, the development director and storyboard artist who we talked to last week. We're, we're going to do part two with him today. Mike, welcome back to the Skull Rock Podcast. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Al John. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, yeah, everybody. And our, our, our live studio audience going nuts. Yeah, awesome. You know? <laughs> hey, Mike, last week we kind of ended uh, talking about uh, Joe Ramft, who was one of your teachers up at CalArts. And um, and you were going to uh, we we were kind of at the point where you had finished your work on Nightmare Before Christmas. And, and I think I asked you if you went to Pixar from there and you said, not really, but I have this funny story about Joe Ramft. So do you want to pick up from there? Right. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So Joe was my, uh, mentor and tormentor as he would, would say, <laughs> and, uh, he definitely kept me on my toes, but also, you know, taught me a lot and was my teacher at Cal arts. Um, and then also don't want to forget to mention a, a couple other teachers, you know, later on, uh, that I had there, but so, so the thing, and, and, and why don't you mention them? You had, yeah, Chris Bach. Glenville Pooh, who else? That's right. Um, and Russ Edmonds. Uh, Russ, Russ Edmonds, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they were, you know, uh, all from Disney. And that was that was kind of very exciting for a student to have those. Basically, um, well, I'm not sure about Glenville Pooh, but teachers that would basically drive her up from Disney after their day's work yeah. would learn. And all had their own style. Chris Buck would sit down at your desk and go over your drawings and help you out on a shot and everything like that. Super calm, super cool. Um, Russ Edmonds had a different style, but he he ultimately gave, you know, he he challenged me the most and with just a phrase after pitching my sophomore film, uh, which was, you're never going to get this done. <laughs> I, I, you are never going to get this done. And um, that sounds like a challenge. It it was. Yeah. And it was, it was very ambitious and um, he was almost right, but you know, it, it definitely steamed up a little bit on that, at that, at that comment. Um, and he was almost right. Um, except that Pete doctor had finished his film early and animated the last two scenes that I needed to do. Um, and I got it done just in time, just under the wire. But anyway, going back to to uh, Joe Ramped. So they all, and he, Joe Ramped, always say how incestuous, uh, incestuous the the animation industry was. Um, and so, perfect example 
he and John Lasseter and Henry Selleck uh, and Tim Burton went to school around the same time. Uh, Henry Selleck had stories of like, of, you know, wanting to kick John Lasseter out of the motion graphics camera that was there. There's this territorial battles, like right from school. Um, and, and and by the way, Henry was in the experimental animation program, not the character animation program. Yeah. You know, H- Henry was, uh, and the experimental animation program was headed by Jules Engel. That's and right. That, and that's really where a lot of the, a lot of the students in experimental animation were doing stop motion and claymation and, and other techniques other than just drawing on paper. That's right. And uh, I hate to betray my, my, classmates but a much cooler program motion graphics <laughs> much cooler and then jules engel would come up and and yell into the character animation department you know you are all effing sellouts you know like you know <laughs> just to intimidate people so i would sneak down and look at you know i don't know why i, have, I would sneak but go down and look at the motion graphics department see all the peter chung had this super cool layout drawing of a circus i remember up there but but, uh, um, you know, I think I said last time, Joe was like a glue, like the glue. He kind of bridged the gap into a lot, into all these relationships in a way. He, he was a true um, diplomat um, and could live in all these different worlds, kind of the quirky, darker world of Nightmare and Tim Burton. And also the, the, the more lighthearted um you know, still, still dramatic, but world of, of, of Pixar and, and Disney and, and, and the, the, you know, that, so he, he, he could live in those, in those spectrums. In fact, in fact, there was one time where John Laster came into Skellington, somehow Henry, uh, John Laster and Andrew Stanton came into Skellington on, you know, I don't I think they were in the city for some reason. So they were invited in by somebody and, Henry was super like he went on high alert. It was it was very strange actually, and especially when he saw last a uh, Yorn, Yorn Clubin, correct? Who was in the yeah. story department with me? Um, it was me, Joe, and Yorn a lot of times in the story department, uh, mainly. But Yorn pitching, you know, this is another incestuous moment. Yorn pitching to John. Uh, this sequence from nightmare before christmas and henry you know was walking by he stopped and his hands were in his pocket and you could hear his hand he was like you could just he was hiding his anger so his hand was shaking and and jingling his keys in his pocket like a rattlesnake he was he was like just wow he he and he and so he 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 walked away and and I'm sure they're behind the scenes. He was like, I don't ever want that to happen again. But uh so Joe um bridged the gap. And at one point late in the later in the game of storyboarding Nightmare Before Christmas, Joe had he Joe you know also had a spiritual side. So he would go to these um kind of men's group storytelling uh summits. Mm-hmm. And I think on one of them he heard a story about a bride who is killed in a genocide um, in central or Eastern Europe. And then is, you know, it's a folktale. Um, and is actually, you know, somehow is actually married to, to uh, 
you know, uh, a young a young man that's walking the forest and and meets her you know, somehow. So that was Corpse Bride. Um, and he was very excited about it. I remember him, him kind of relaying that to people. Um, and then, so it was right around that time where, uh, and I was, you know, always kind of curious to, to Joe's, um, his experience with animation with Disney and, you know, when he went to, to Cal Arts and all that stuff. So I was sitting in front of his desk. Uh, I would, I would, I would call the, the, you know, I, would come over for 10, 20 minutes and say, okay, let's do animation folklore. Let's talk about like history and all that stuff. And um, during one of those sessions, uh, the story department was not too far from Henry's office. Henry came out of his, his, his office. And by no means do I want to throw Henry under the, under the bus because I have complete respect for Henry's genius. Um, but he does have a temper. And um, as, as you know, many people would tell you, so in this particular instance, he came around the corner and um, he pointed at Joe and said, Joe, you are an effer, but it was the actual F word. So you yeah. don't have to bleep it. You are an effer. You, I heard about Corpse Bride. You went behind my back. You are an effer. And, um, and Joe, you know, Joe looked up shocked. And uh, did, did, did Joe pitch it to Tim? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I learned that after the after yeah, so he this, pitched all this the, he, he pitched it to Tim without talking to Henry. You know that I don't know. Okay, that I don't know. You know, I I I would imagine he he told Henry about it too, but I don't know. Yeah. So, so uh, um, but but whatever the case, Tim Burton jumped on it right away. You know. Well, it's a story. It's a story right up his alley. Yes, yes, um, and so you know, Henry kind of came around, told Joe that he knew about it. He wanted his five dollars back from from you know from that alone that he had from lunch or something, and he told Joe, as far as I'm concerned, you're finished on this project. And Joe was completely shocked. You know, he he did not see that coming at all i'm sure no one no one really did and so he and I, he 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 picked up his backpack and he walked out the door you know he said wow. okay wow um and um i was sitting there the only person left in the story department and we had this these used the used furniture like skellington was was very uh um, it was a hodgepodge. It, it, it was all like used furniture and, and, you know, low, I know Yorn told me that at one point he was sitting on an, uh, an upside down waste paper basket as a seat. That's right. So very low overhead. Yeah. So, you know, we would have like lounge chairs off the street sometimes. And we, so I happened to be sitting at that moment, uh, when in in like a, a little kid's elementary school desk, you know, with the attached tabletop part of yeah, it. Yeah, sure. With <laughs> the chair, so, the chair and the desk are attached. That's right. You know, yeah. um, probably still snot from from kids, you know, and underneath the, the table. <laughs> and so uh, Joe left. Henry Henry was like recovering. He he realized like he oh, this is a moment where I probably should have counted to ten, and he said. He told me a little bit about like what had happened. Um, you know, Joe had signed this project with Tim 
corpse bride. And, um, and he went back into his office. So there, there, so there I was sitting alone in the storyboard department with, you know, three or four sequences left in the film sitting in this kid's desk going, Oh sh crap, you know? Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, I called Joe later and I went into Henry's office and said, and I, you know, I was like, Henry, I, I can't do this alone. I, can you call Joe? Can, you know, you know, how, how do we, how do we work through this? Um, um, plus I was fairly, you know, inexperienced at time, that time as well. Sure. That was your but, first, it, it was one of your first, uh, you know, uh, projects. First big yeah, project. Definitely. Yeah. First first big project that I worked on almost almost start to finish, you know, yeah. from as far as storyboarding is concerned. And um uh and so Henry is is very good at apologizing because he has to <laughs> from time to time, like, you know, do some really in-depth apologizing. So Joe should Joe did come back um to finish up what he was working on and they patched things up. You know, um, but he did, you know, I can't remember. It, it, it was fairly shortly after that, that he went to Pixar to work with John and, and those guys on um, Toy Story. Um, yeah. So uh, that was it. Did, did Joe ever come back? To, to Skellington? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he just he came back and finished. He came back and finished. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, uh, they were they were super good friends, Henry and Joe, which makes things even more complicated. That's part of working in the industry that you realize after a while that you, you know, you become good friends with people, and then you are competitors. You know, in in some instances yeah. and 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 in instances you're then working for somebody who was an equal right you right know, that, that kind of stuff so yeah yeah absolutely yeah there's there's that that kind of hopscotch effect um so uh yeah so where so where was i going with that um so joe came back uh, joe came back though and and finished a nightmare and, yes. and then went on to Pixar. Did you follow him over to Pixar or did you do go on to something else? Um, I did eventually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there, there was a couple more sequences. There was some revisions and then there was the big oogie boogie battle that, uh, right. that I was there, um, you know, struggling with. Uh, but that was good in a way too, because uh, Henry and I worked very closely together on that one since I was the only storyboard artist there, Henry had been a storyboard artist. So, you know, I've learned a lot from, from Henry uh, over the course of the whole film, but that was a particular case where we were really concentrating, working together and getting this last climactic battle done. Mm. Um, and then uh, Kelly Asbury um, was also going over to pick to Pixar at some point. I can't remember where, and, and he would, you know, considering the low overhead atmosphere of, of, um, Skellington, he, I think his, his, he told me like when he was about to go over thing, I can't wait to get out of, you know, just working in someone's garage. 
Yeah. But that was also the cool thing about scaling. You know, there's, there's nothing like it there. You know, I don't think there will ever be either. It was just this super creative kind of thrasher type of atmosphere. Punk rock. Punk rock. Yeah. But I mean, it was scrappy productions, Yeah, you know, and, and, and the, uh, the, the, the fact was that it was all artists for the most part with a handful of production management people in a warehouse, you know, and, and you didn't have a tremendous amount of oversight. I wrote about this in, in my book on nightmare was that there wasn't a tremendous amount of executive oversight. And that's really part of the secret sauce of this movie and why this movie has resonated so well. It was because the artists made the movie that they wanted to make. Yeah, that's right. Punk rock for sure. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there was, you know, graffiti all over the place and, and, uh, and, it, it had a kind of a cool aura. In fact, I think, you know, even when, when Jeffrey Katzenberg would come up and visit, sometimes he would put up his black t-shirt on to kind of fit into the, the Soma scene. <laughs> yeah. Those guys uh, learned quickly to take the suit off when they came over to the facilities. You know? Yeah. So, but so, so you, you finished up nightmare and went over to Pixar then. You didn't, yes. you, did you, you didn't work, you didn't work on James and the giant peach, did you? Oh yeah, I did. In fact, uh, okay. In fact, you know, Joe was pretty, I think he was kind of done with working, uh, um, with Henry for a while, <laughs> especially after that. So he, he, you know, he basically became part of the brain trust for Pixar, as we all know. Right. Um, and, uh, Let's see. So, so I did work on James and Giant Pete's. Kelly and I we became co-heads of story at the beginning of that because Joe wasn't there. You know? Yeah. So we kind of filled that gap. But be t- so I, um, I pretty much went went crazy working on Nightmare just because of the, you know, I was just a kid. Uh, I was working with these great craftsmen and technicians and some people that that you know, were legendary that it worked in Star Wars movies and ILM and stuff like that. So I was kind of in this super cool dream, dreamland, but also uh, a lot of pressure because of that. So um, I did, when we were done or when I was done with my duties on the film, I went the farthest away I could go. So I trekked, went trekking in Nepal for three or four weeks. Um, Just, Just on vacation to clear your head. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, that was pretty intense. I was backpacking, you know, and Did you go uh, by yourself. I went with uh, my friend, Cameron Noble, who was a cameraman on um, uh, Nightmare. Oh, OK. And uh, and a, a, a friend of mine, Tom Pope, who uh, was. Um, oh, yeah. I know sex Tom. animator. I know Tom Pope. That's right. Yeah. 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 I work, yeah, yeah. I, yeah I work with Tom Pope. Yeah. yeah. He's a good guy. Yeah. So, um, so that definitely cleared my head, except that when I came back to work at Pixar, I had what's called mountain cough, um, which lasts for about a month. And it's just like, you're just constantly hacking. It's high altitude, you know, if your lungs aren't used to high altitude. Wow. Um, so, uh, I felt a little bit like a leper cause you know, I didn't, didn't, uh, 
Everybody stayed away from you, huh? <laughs> You're hacking up a and lung. It just made it a little awkward in, in conference rooms and stuff like that, you know. Sure. But so so you did get to Pixar. Yeah. And uh how long did you stay at Pixar? That was about uh six months, I think. Yep, six months. What uh, were you working on? Toy Story. Toy Story. So the first the first Pixar feature film. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And I, I had been talking to Andrew and John and Pete for a while. In fact, they were the ones that wanted to fly me up to the Bay Area and, and try and get me interested in what they were doing um, at CalArts when they saw my films. Um, I think Andrew was the first one to approach me and say, you know, hey, there's this stuff happening up in the, the Bay Area. You should really come up or we're, we're, we're building like a like a whole digital uh uh a studio that's that's digital mm. and um you should get in on it now because i get in on the ground floor and i kind of looked at him like a, he, and he's super young he looked super young at the time he looked like a like a teenager and i was like oh, who is this guy um but but he had a he had a film that i had seen in spike and mike's film festival which kind of like got me interested in Cal arts, one of the films. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, and then, um, like I said, when, um, I just finished, thanks to Pete animating the last two scenes of my sophomore film, uh, called space girl. Um, and I had turned it in just under the wire, made it into the producer's show. Uh, I was so tired. I, I went to bed for, basically for 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 two days because I had I was also I was working at Bluth and getting my film done at the same time. Uh, uh, and the candle at both ends. Working fourteen hour days, um, and so uh, after the producer show, so I was I was you know dead and, and uh, down in my apartment that was across the street from Cal Arts, and I got a call after the producer show and i think it was my roommate steve anderson actually who said hey mike get up here and i was like oh man i just i'm, I'm tired i mean i need to sleep because you should get up here right now <laughs> and um so threw on some clothes went up to the the at cal arts outside the bijou theater and there was john lassiter pete doctor i don't think andrew was there at that time but maybe craig good or something but but uh, they really liked my film and um, and they were very complimentary and, you know, Pete had helped me on it too. So, so he, he was there as, as a little bit of a champion. Um, and they said, they said, Oh, well, we want to fly you up to, you know, to, to um, check out Pixar that they, you know, that they were putting together. Um, so I did that. I had an interview with them, but also Joe had started working on the, the Tim Burton project, you know, Nightmare for Christmas. And I visited Joe and they were ready to hire board artists before Pixar. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, I just happened to like the, the artsy atmosphere at Skellington a little bit more. So I stayed there longer, um, but they still wanted me over at uh 
at um, Pixar on Toy Story, but I was pretty burnt out. I had mountain cough. Uh, I had gone from that super intense two years at CalArts, you know, after working all summer at Bluth uh, to working with Henry Selleck, which is, which is no picnic. Um, so I was super burnt out on Toy Story, just doing, you know, I was, I was able to do a couple sequences and do some, some mutant toy designs, which, uh, I'm pretty proud of. I, I introduced dismemberment into these, into these, uh, weird toys. <laughs> and so, That's awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. There was one, there was one that I thought would be great. It's, it's Barbie doll legs with the Santa Claus head on it. So if you, <laughs> you, you know, the Barbie doll legs would come out walking, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, like a Barbie beep, 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 beep. And the Santa Claus would have a deep voice, you know, <laughs> but so in the end that became uh cause mutant toys and talk, they would put a winch. Andrew needed a winch on top of the Barbie doll legs and that, something like that. And uh, there was the frog head with wheels, you know, yeah, just kind of uh, funky things like that. Uh, there were also, also kind of punk in a way I, I had a, uh, there's, you know, like it's kind of a surrealist um, art movement tied in with music, punk, and uh, outsider art that that I loved, that I would always kind of bring in. You know, I looked at a lot of juxtaposed magazines and, and things like that, that I would try and bring into to projects that um, um, when I was working on them. So, so, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't have the best, I was just kind of burnt out on Toy Story. So when they had their first kind of, they had a little bit of a hiatus on Toy Story and they had a culling um, as a result. And I was one of those people that um, I remember Bonnie Arnold laid me off uh, with, with no notice, which was kind of a. Really? Not even uh, two weeks, huh? No. I, in fact, I asked her, I, I, you know, I said, don't you have to, you know, isn't there a two week period or something like she goes, no, we're, we're non-union. Thank you. Okay. Wow. wow. <laughs> so, wow. um, yeah. So, you know, Henry was happy to have me back. Um, to, so you weren't, you went, you went on to work on James and the giant peach. That's right. That's yeah. right. And, and, uh, I'm not sure why <clears throat> Kelly also went over there cause they loved Kelly, you know, uh, as most people do. Um, yeah, so 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 we were both there back on James and Giant Peach as co-heads of story there for for a while. Um, and uh, did, did, let me ask you this: Did, did you like uh, just going from project to project and not being tied to any one studio? E yes, 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 yes. Um, because it was kind of like playing the field, yeah. Right? And you you heard of. You, you, the things that I had seen in Spike and Mike that really solidified my interest in, in pursuing animation was Tim Burton's Vincent, the short film. Sure. And Luxo Jr., you know, that yeah. kind of, you know, that sublime combination of sophistication, you know, jazz, this jazz tune and this kind of goofy animation, uh, you know, um, relationship, character relationships. So, so, uh, um, well done. Um, 
So, and that's where it was happening there. You know, all those, you know, Tim Burton and, and also Henry's I, uh, MTV IDs were just kind of blew my mind. The, the, the stop motion things. And yeah, what he was doing before he took on nightmare before Christmas. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So, so that's where they all, they all were. Um, so did, I was, you, did you did you primarily after CalArts spent uh, stay up in the Bay Area or did you cut back actually come back down to to uh, Disney in in Los Angeles? Um. Okay, I'm I'm uh, no, so I stayed in. Uh, so I'm just totally skipping over Fern Gully. So I stayed in. Um, I lived in Toluca Lake, and uh, oh, I have to tell you the story about bringing the Bluth animators to Cal Arts where there a fight almost broke out, but, <clears throat> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, so, so, um, that's right. So that, that thing where, you know, I, I met John and, um, Pete after my film, they wanted me to come up. I did, I did fly up. They weren't ready yet. You know, they were a, a year to a couple of years out from, from getting a feature off the ground. And, sure. um, you know, uh, Nightmare hadn't started yet. So um, I worked with the Croyers. Oh, that's right. So so this was like a, a you know, huge, huge confidence building moment was that producer show um, where I had interest from 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 Lassiter and those guys from the Croyers. You know, the Croyers called me up right away and said, hey, you know, we want to come and interview Disney. Uh, I'd heard rumors that they had actually clapped at the, the end of my film, which never happens. So uh, that kind of went to my head a little bit. Um, <laughs> and I ended up, so I ended up going to interviews almost on the same day. It was as Mark Kennedy and I both went to interviews together, you know, um, at Pixar and at Disney in fact, I have a story about my interview at Disney, which which Yorn, Jorgen Kublin, Klubin. Uh, yes, thank you. Jorgen Klubin. Klubin put uh, in one of his short films called The Little Wooden Boy. It's basically my, you know, I told him the story and he just incorporated it into my, my interview with Bill Dennis at Disney. <laughs> where uh, Bill Dennis rolled out a five-year contract um, in front of me and pressured you to sign it. That's right. And, and ha almost was handing me the pen Yeah, and, um, and s saying all these areas where I had to sign it. Uh, and, um, and almost like a batteries not included statement saying, you know, with our options to renew, of course, um, you know, at each of these segments and I was like, wait, you know what? what oh yeah. No, there, there's a lot of really great Bill Dennis stories. None that I'm going to tell right now, but there's a lot of them. And, uh, and I think he, he, he kind of took advantage of a lot of the artists. What a character. Yeah. I remember these, he was smoking a skinny cigarette. Yeah. You know, and, uh, um, yeah, what a character. So, so at the same time, I, I you know probably in the same day, even we Mark Kennedy and I went over to to the Croyers, and we got it was it was like a small office space in Burbank there on Olive Street, and you know we we got in there we were in the lobby and Sue comes out, uh, and 
And the first thing she says, Sukor like comes down the street and, and she's like, oh, don't go to Disney. Don't go to Disney. Whatever you do, please promise me, don't go to Disney. And it's like, okay. Um, and so uh, I, and I started noticing that there were a lot of kind of like veterans of Disney that was almost like the Vietnam War. They, they, had, they had gone through it. They had survived. They had learned a hell of a lot. They'd made lifelong friendships. But it was like a war that there was this kind of PTSD uh, that was lingering still, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so uh, that contract at Disney intimidated me. The first thing I did was call Chris Buck and I said, like, oh, is this going to ruin my career if I don't take this opportunity at Disney? And, and he said, no, 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 don't worry about it. Turnover is so high, especially in management. Mm-hmm. So you know, don't worry about pissing off Bill Dennis or anybody management. Right. Right. The next year it's going to be somebody new. Something yeah, like it was, that. A, it was a revolving door and it has been since. Right. Right. Um, Reg- regimes come and go. That's right. And, 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 and uh, that resonated with me because, you know, remember I, I told you my story about, uh, getting, I wanted to go back and telling my manager at Bluth. And he was like, you know, I feel like you're screwing me royally. Right. Right. Um, Bluth actually reached out to me after my, you know, this was like just four months later and said, Hey, we have, we want you to be an animator for our, for our company. I said, well, uh, did you want to be an animator? Uh, sure. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was kind of, it was more about yes. So yes. Um, it was just whatever. I just wanted to get into, to start making films with, with, with filmmakers, you know, that were doing, doing great stuff. And, um, um, you, you know, you hear, you hear all about the players out there at school, you know, everyone knows who did what scenes and all this stuff. And, and, uh, so you just want to be in that, in that river, like swimming with, with, uh, with the people that were doing it. Um, so, uh, uh, but the Croyers, I think they, 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 you know, um, wisely had me go back and forth from animation to storyboarding. Um, and maybe they were just kind of trying me out in different, different areas to, to see where I would land and, and where I would excel. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. And, uh, um, so I got, so I got to learn from, from, you know, Dan Jupe, Tony Puccilli, yep. were my directing animators, you know, you couldn't find better people. Yeah. They're, they're, they're terrific guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the overall thing, you know, it was, it was always, it was always a big draw. It was like the Bay area where ILM was, where, well, you know, a lot of the Star Wars films had been made. Um, I kind of like had this 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 overall calling to be a story artist in the Bay Area because of that. Um, so you pretty much were were after Fern Gully, after Fern Gully and Disney and and Bluth. You you went back up and stayed in the Bay Area. Correct. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I when I look at, you know, some of your your film credits, 
you you kind of were you know bouncing between Pixar and working with Henry uh and uh going to Leica films and you know what I mean it, it seems like you kind of making that circuit around there yeah well well like it was a whole the next jump up up so I spent about 12 years in the Bay Area and then went moved to Portland to help set up Leica um and that that was that was the next big jump up uh but but what was their first film was it Coraline it was. Yeah. Coraline was absolutely beautiful. I mean, it's, it's really one of my favorite films that Henry has done, but you worked on, you worked on Coraline and box trolls, which is also another good film from Leica. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's correct. Yes. Uh, and, um, so you have a good relationship with Henry because, you know, not only nightmare, but but also James and the Giant Peach, and you did some work on Monkey Bones with with uh, Henry, Coraline, yep. and and most recently you worked with him on Wendell and Wild last year. Yes, yes. Uh, so I've worked on all of Henry is Henry's feature films. Yeah, you know. So, um, but what, what I was going to say earlier is that you know I've kind of been uh, and and. Thank you to Dave Aljohn for, for doing this because it's, it, you know, these stories, I'm listening to more of your podcasts and getting so much more information about people that I didn't know, like even like, you know, Spaff and and Dan Jupe and, and uh, you know, and, and I, I, I've talked to them often, but not really known exactly how they started and, you know, all that stuff, how they got into animation. Well, that's what that's our job. That's what we've been doing. I mean, this is kind of like an oral history of uh, uh, of the last, you know, 40, 50 years of animation, uh, in, you know, in in Los Angeles and the Bay Area. Bless you, bless you. Uh, At you. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, but it's also like, it, it's funny, this last week since the last time we talked, it's like stilled up, stirred up the silt. Yeah. And and a, lot, now, a lot of the stories kind of flood back. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm realizing now that, uh, and then, you know, it's over the last couple of years that the directors that I've worked with um, are all from the rat's nest almost, you know, mm -hmm. or John Bluth who named the rat's, rat's nest. Uh, and and full circle a couple of years ago through I think Howard Green I got to visit the actual rat's nest where it was and Disney's office there there at Disney that was that was yeah. pretty nice full circle kind of a little bit of closure in some weird way but um but that you know what you know what a tremendously powerful group in in animation and the, the influence that they've had. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we kind of, you know, I rattled off some of the films you worked on. I mean, you, you worked on Corpse Bride with, um, uh, 
Mike Johnson with, directed yeah, it. And, and with Joe, uh, and that was a Tim Burton produced project, uh, which I, I like very much as well. Uh, but before we run out of time, Mike, I, I, I have to ask you a couple of questions. One is sausage party. <laughs> one, I, I see it as a credit. You got additional storyboard artists. It's one of the funniest animated films I had seen in a really long time. How was it working on that? Uh, well, I only did one. Okay. So I only did one sequence, um, <laughs> which was cut. Uh, there's, oh. there's some, um, was it cut but, because it was so crude? It just, it just didn't, <laughs> it didn't quite fit in with the story. Uh, I love this, the script. Um, and I know Conrad Vernon, um, you know, it was kind of a mess, that production. Yeah. And I, you know, I could sense it from where I was. I was, I was working in a studio here in Portland, uh, just doing freelance. Um, so, uh, but the funny thing is, is that, I somehow, you know, I, I was on Disney's radar for to come down and, and interview for some reason. And really the only thing I had together was this, this sequence, you know, super raunchy sequence from Sausage Party. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, but I kind of relish that, you know, there, there's, there's a little bit of a clown in me that, that sure. I like, you know. so when I went to Disney and all the, the directors that were there, uh, that you know, that were working on um, films at the time. What's the one with the robot? Uh, uh, Meet the Robinsons. No, no. Uh, later. Oh, uh, Big Hero Six. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So, so I was actually okay. This, uh, you know, I want to see what they're they're doing now because I heard rumors about that. It's like, well, you know, it seems like maybe they're turning some kind of bend. Um, but I pitched the sequence from Sausage Party, which is just very, you know, extremely, uh, you know, unabashedly racist um, sequence of uh, El Guaco, who's like a who's like a guacamole container, who's like, you know, sacrificing chips off the off the um, off like a big sombrero hat display, yeah. you know, and there's a lot of cussing and and. Uh, and just, you know, just weirdness. <laughs> Crudeness. Yes. Crudeness. Yeah. yeah. But actually, and John Musker there was there too. He was the one like, oh man, I don't, you know, am I really going to do this? Pitch this sequence in front of John Musker, you know, who, who's, who's the, uh, you know, so, so well respected and uh, by me and everyone. And, um, and he he actually pegged it. He, at the end, he he said a story comment. I was like, "Well, how does re this relate to the overall story? You know, it's not whose POV is this from?" He just said it so succinctly. Yeah. And I was like, "Wow, you know, he's absolutely right that the scene doesn't really apply, you know, uh, to the film, even even though it's funny and it's in in a an audacious way." Sure. And so. Um, I knew beforehand it was that it was you know probably on the chopping block because of John Mos Musker. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's a great story. Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to ask you about um, is because you you meant you brought it up racism. Yes. And uh, and uh, you know and and I think 
you know, I kind of lump racism in with all the other isms, you know, like ageism and things like that, because I, 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 you know, over the years uh, that, that Al John and I have been doing this podcast, we've been hearing bits and pieces from some, some of the folks we've been interviewing uh, about, you know, ageism uh, uh, creeping in uh, and people's phones not ringing uh, because they've been in the business for so long. Did I, have you experienced any of that? Yeah, yeah, I'm experiencing experiencing it now, um, and you know the 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 ageism thing. It, it's it's two things. I mean, I I can tell you my personal story, uh, yeah, and that is, you know, aging in general. You're you're mentally and physically, you can't do it forever. Um, I actually have a pretty bad case of biceps tendonitis in my right arm from, uh, from drawing from drawing from from some uh a surgery neck surgery from some sports injuries pretty bad snowboard injury that happened you know way way back when i was a kid i wanted to be a stuntman so i would just you know thrash and i was just did some skateboarding so i always had problems um, and they were, it was all coming to a head about, uh, you know, right around the time of, and uh, using a mouse, that there's an era where there was no consciousness of ergonomics at all. And more, you know, I was one of the first adopters of using computers, um, using a Cintiq. And so there was a lot of wear and tear that happened then. And I noticed my, my right arm going numb which and uh, sent me into a panic, as, as you might imagine, um, having to do a lot of drawing for my work. Uh, at the same time, I was also doing more directing, so I was doing less drawing. Um, so it kind of worked out in the long run. But Because you, your arm healed up a bit because you, you, you weren't doing repetitive motions of drawing. That's right. So it would heal up, but, you know, eventually it would just got worse and worse. And every time, you know, and so I think the, the, the more, you know, the last 10 years, it would seem like it was healed. So I would dive in um, and would get in trouble actually, you know, after about two or three sequences, my, it would flare up, it would flare up and I just wouldn't be able to draw. Um, and so I would go on some projects. I would just say that like there was, there was a project that I worked on at blue sky before it shut down. I just told um, Rob Baird at the time, I said, look, you know, I will be head of story, but I can't draw. Um, I just have to be honest. And, uh, and there's been a couple of projects like that. And they said, well, that's fine. We just need your brain. You know, we need your story brain and your, your management skills. And, and so that was fine. Um, where I would get in trouble is that there were projects that, that I thought I was healed and I would draw and then I would have to call the producer and say, look, I can't, I just can't draw. And, you know, that, that sucks. So, so the stress of, you know, I'm like, okay, this, this is going to ruin my reputation, but at the same time, no, wait, this is just happening. You know, sure. it is aging. Can't yeah. get away from it. There's certain things that you can do to maybe delay it a little bit, but um, that is going to affect the jobs that I get. And if I was a producer, you know, and I, I, I'd heard that uh, 
so-and-so has an injury, I would probably not, I would put them lower on the, on the list. Do you feel like that's what's been happening? I have no idea. You know, I can't really, I can't really say what, what, what people are thinking, but it all, it also, um, you know, I confession time, I have seen, I have interviewed board artists that were older than me that were on the verge of retirement that could draw way better than me. And that, uh, I didn't hire them because I was intimidated, you know, and, and, I, and I, th- and I think that's part of what's happening today because you've got, you've got, you know, directors in their twenties and thirties who are doing shows that are not wanting to work with artists that are 20 or 30 years older than them because, yeah. they're, inti- because they're intimidated. And it's awkward. Even, even if you're not intimidated, I think it's just, if you have the most experience in the room, you know, uh, it's really hard to just, you know, be quiet or, or, or kind of like not. And, and that, that's a tricky, that's a tricky place to be. It was for me. I decided at one point and said, look, I'm not going to censor myself anymore. I'm just going to say what I think. And so, uh, that on one hand, I think made me more, uh, respectable in the eyes of some of the producers. It also, it could be interpreted as being a pain in the ass for some of the people that didn't have the experience that were, were, you know, might think that they're being shown up. But you know something though, I I mean, I talked to one artist who was interviewed for a project, you know, to do, to storyboard it. Hmm. Um, They, they absolutely loved him. They loved some of the projects he had worked on. They were peppering him with questions about, some film he had worked on 20 years ago when these people were in high school or something, you know, and, uh, and then he didn't get the job, but then he said six months later, he got a call because the person they hired was inexperienced, did a crap job on the project, made a mess of it. And now they were calling him to see if he would come back in after not giving it to him, but, but hire him to come in and clean up the mess. And that that's just infuriating to me because that's just a waste of time and money. Yeah. But also that is a classic scenario that I'm sure crosses all industry, you know, in yeah. fact, even, even my, my, my uncle who was uh, an engineer at Boeing, you know, he told me about this cycle that, that, you know, the, the youngsters will come in, they think they'll know it all, they'll get in trouble and then they'll call the, the elders and have them yeah. come in and, and fix things. It's just, yeah. Um, that is probably a classic cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Mike, what piece of advice would you give to somebody who's breaking into the business today? Hmm. Uh, just be super curious, you know, um, um, be curious about everything, try and get as many different experiences as you can, uh, find the good teachers find the good teachers and when you found them uh, negotiate learning from them because it, you know, once you find them, you, 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 you have to work with them in a way that is beneficial to you both. Um, so when you do that, uh, that's the sweet spots that you want to find. And there's usually two or three on each project or on each place you work doesn't even have to be in, in, in art. Um, 
I think that's key. Yeah, I, I agree with you. So, Mike, I got to tell you, Al John's got a question for you. I do. Okay. I do, because uh, we share a lot in common, Mike. I mean, not only did you mention you had, was it a family member that worked at Boeing or worked at uh, worked at Boeing? Yeah. My, my dad, my dad was a project engineer too for Boeing and NASA, you know? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, and uh, growing up in Seattle, but, mm. um, but we're also Filipinos. Yeah. So I love that. And what, what do you think my, about, Mike, are you Filipino? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm one third. One, I'm, I'm tri-racial is the easy <laughs> breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. One third, you know, yeah. My, Grandfather came over in the Navy from the Philippines. He was a cook on the USS Phelps. He was in the Pearl Harbor attack. Wow. And he um, ended up, they sent it all the wounded to Washington, D.C., where he ended up being a steward in the Pentagon and then in the FDR White House for uh, three terms. Wow. Where he would meet with FDR or the First Lady and plan out the meals uh, for wow. for the dignitaries that were visiting the White House, and uh, yeah, so that's that's a whole. So one third Filipino. What are, yeah. What's the other two thirds? Um, one third Scotch Irish. This is according to the DNA. Uh, okay, right. And okay. then one third like European, Italian, Portuguese. Okay, okay. fantastic. That's awesome. English. That's great. Well, yeah, I, I wanted to ask you because. You know, there's a lot of, um, I you know, I use the word representation now because uh, there's a lot of stories being told by other, you know, animation houses, including Disney, uh, of Asian culture. And yeah. especially over the last few years, um, the depictions of Filipinos in, in movies, cinema, and animation, too, have been pretty cool to see because I've grown up loving so many great Disney characters and Bluth characters and so many great um, animated projects, but never saw myself in those. What are your thoughts on uh, the depictions of Filipino culture in cinema and uh, in animation these days? Because um, it was great to see those holiday specials from Disney come out with depictions of Filipino culture. Yeah, it's great. I'm, I'm no, it's, it's great that that's, that's opening up. Um, you know, especially in animation where, you know, even in my career, the, you know, most people were white, you know, uh, and there, and so I was a little bit of an outcast. Um, uh, and so, you know, I think just, just opening it up to more, to more, uh, cultural references from here and there, but then, you know, then you get to that thing of like, um, that tricky area of, um, uh, cultural appropriation sure. and, and stereotyping, really. I mean, the Philippines, when you get into the Philippines, it's thousands of islands, you know, mm -hmm. many, many different languages. It's a whole, a whole you know, breakdown of, of diverse communities there even. So, but it is good that it's opening up to more different voices um, and different cultures. It didn't seem forced, right? I mean, it serves a story. And I think it's the one thing that you've done over the course of your career is serving the story. Uh, some of my favorite Pixar films, Ratatouille, The Incredibles, Toy Story, still stand the test of time. They'll be classics for all time, in my opinion. So uh, kudos to you, Mike. What a great career. And thank you so much for sharing these stories. I uh, 
I'm a big fan, and I just hope you just continue to do great work, man. Um, like I said, Thanks, trolls are still in rotation in the Go household, so uh, <laughs> doing great <Yeah>. work. <laughs> oh, one more yeah. thing about uh, about my grandfather. So oh, yeah. every Thursday was uh, adobo night. Yes, because FDR he loved the chicken adobo. So oh, that's so good. Was adobo night. <laughs> that is that is awesome trivia. Yeah. I, I love it. FDR is a fan of adobo, chicken adobo, my favorite. That's right. All right, Mike. It was fantastic having you on uh, the last couple weeks here uh, on the Skull Rock podcast. And uh, I look forward to having you back at some point in the future. That would be awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Become a supporter of Skull Rock podcast with small monthly donations to help sustain future episodes for just 99 cents a month. You can do that just like Lindsay and Joshua. Thank you so much for your support of our show. Be sure to click our link to support the show at skullrockpodcast.com forward slash support. Hi, this is former Disneyland art director Tom Butch, and you're listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Your attention, please. Now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. Mike, what a, a great guy and a lot of stories. I know we're just scratching the surface because you can tell like we were talking to him and all of a sudden these feelings and thoughts and memories started resurfacing and it was like the recall, it, it's starting to come back to him. So I'm sure we're just scratching the surface with Mike. Absolutely. You know, he's really, uh, some really great stories, especially about Nightmare Before Christmas. Again, you know, I can't tell you uh, how much uh, he was helpful and the fact that I interviewed him uh, uh, about the uh, uh, storyboarding of Nightmare Before Christmas, which, you know, there's quotes from him in my book, uh, Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas Visual Companion. There you go. Available now. I just thought, I, I just thought <laughs> I'd slip that shameless plug in. I don't have, <laughs> where, where's my cash register sound effect? Cha-ching. Cha-ching. Uh, I know. Well, anyway, we look forward to having Mike back at some point. That would be amazing. And once again, you can check out Dave's book. We'll have the book link in our show notes or go to your local bookseller and request that book. An awesome way to uh, give yourself something nice for the holiday season or that Disney fan in your household, in your life. So if you love Disney and pop culture, thank you so much for listening to the very end. Please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform. Of course, online there at SkullRockPodcast.com. Check out our show archive for the past four years, y'all. We've been bringing you awesome interviews about Disney and pop culture. Also, follow us on social platforms, Facebook, X, LinkedIn, where Dave and I both are, as well as Instagram. Follow me, of course, Al John Go on Instagram. And you can also email us. Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com or Al John, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. And uh, don't forget, really quick, a plug for my other podcast, Dining at Disney Podcast, where we, my wife and I, uh, Kristen, and our friend Kat, we host the show twice a week where we talk about Disney parks and food, of course. The most yummiest plate on earth. Please check that out. Dave, what's going on with you? Keeping busy, I see. I, I am keeping busy. I'm going to do a little tease here because, uh, we, and we typically don't do this, but next week's show, Al John, you and I are going to be talking about the best of the best for 2023, our, our top movie picks, our top books, our top music, uh, top streaming, you name it. Uh, we're going to have a fun-filled uh, show next Monday. Uh, and then... Uh, dropping on uh, Christmas Day. Whoa. 
Christmas Day, the Skull Rock Podcast is going to have an exclusive interview with uh, producer-director John Musker uh, talking about his short I'm Hip, which is also in for Academy uh, competition. Oh, John has and nothing then, to say. He has nothing to say at all. We're, we're actually going to we're, we're going to drop a new show on Christmas. Uh, excuse me, on New Year's Day. What? Yeah, what? New Year's Day, twenty twenty four. Oh my! We're dropping an exclusive interview with Andreas Deja uh, uh, regarding his short film, which is in for Academy competition, Mushka, uh, and we're going to be talking just about Mushka. Yo, we're putting out some bangers, Dave. These episodes are going to be top-notch. I'm telling you right now. Uh, and then uh, I just want to remind everybody, I will be at Walt's Barn Sunday, December 17th. I'll be there from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. signing books. Uh, I know Don Hahn's going to be there. Floyd Norman's going to be there. There's going to be a few other authors there. Uh, so swing by if you're looking to get an author signed copy of a book, do some last-minute Christmas shopping. Uh, we'll be there. It's going to be a fun fun uh, afternoon at Walt's Barn. It's the last uh, uh, opening of Walt's Barn for 2023. The next time you'll be able to go there will be in January. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So with that, go out and have a fantastic week, everybody. Uh, be good to one another. Slow down a little bit. I know everybody's out there rushing around trying to do Christmas shopping, but be kind to one another. And we'll see you back here next Monday right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List Podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock Podcast here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel, vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times so they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next disney cruise disney park trip adventures by disney they can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com <laughs>